Welcome to HPE Live, bringing integrity, etiquette, and excellence to entertainment. I'm your host, Bossman Blaze. And I'm your co-host, Amy P. Today, we'll be hearing from an amazing guest. But first, a thank you to our sponsors. Little Ox Tech, building cost-effective websites for businesses, creators, or even podcasts like ours. Little Ox Tech is ready to help put together the perfect solution for you. Visit Little Ox Tech today and mention HPE Live to receive 33% off your personalized site. Little Ox Tech, a website for your whatever. And by AS Plus Modeling, everything modeling and more. Visit them online at www.asplusmodeling.com. Well, good evening, Tim. How are you doing? Thanks for joining HP Live. I'm your host, Bossman Blaze. And I'm Amy P. Today we're talking to actor, writer, acting teacher, and comedian, Tim Colseri. How are you doing, Tim? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. We're super excited, and I'm going to be honest. You and I have been Facebook friends for quite some time, and I'm not fan. Yeah, I'm kind of fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like talking Blaze's ear off about you for quite some time, so I'm super excited here today. <laughs> Are you in Arizona now? Is that where you're from? Yeah, I'm oh, from no. Arizona, but I am East Coast now. I'm from Phoenix. That's where I grew up, actually. I know. You're friends with friends of my people. Yeah? Don't ask me his name, because I forgot. Um, <laughs> okay. Harry, <laughs> shoot. I'll, when, I re- when I remember it, I'll, I'll have to tell you who it is, but yeah. <laughs> you went to school, uh, same grade, I think, with my uncle. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> wow. You must be an old guy like me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not commenting on that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm super excited for anybody who does not recognize your name. I'm just telling you now, people, you're crazy. Because Tim was the gunner in the famous movie Full Metal Jack. Full Metal Jack. Yes. Awesome. That plays when when we all die, it'll still be playing for some reason. Exactly. It's on going. (laughs) So tell us, like, when you when you got that role, I mean, yeah. in your mind, did you really think that you would be you are now, that the movie would be such a big hit? Oh, I knew the movie was going to be a big hit uh, just because Stanley Kubrick was so amazing of a director, and anything he did was pretty amazing. So when I read the script, well, I don't know if you know how I got the role. It's pretty amazing. I actually saw in the Hollywood Reporter that a friend of mine said they're doing a Marine Corps film. Stanley Kubrick is casting only by tapes. This is right up her alley. You got to send him a tape. And uh, I had been, you know, just taking acting classes. I didn't even want to be an actor. I was a flight attendant for Braniff Airlines. I got based in Los Angeles and some guy kept telling me to come to his acting class. I said, I don't think I'm that kind of guy, you know. And, <laughs> Finally, I went to his class and I did my first scene and somebody goes, you're really good. I go, I'm good at acting. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> and 
so I kind of got into it and I thought I'll give myself a couple of years. If I don't make any money, I'll get out. I read for a commercial one time for Coors Beer and then next time I was landing some commercials and I wanted to do film. I did one film and I heard about Stanley doing this film and since I was a Marine and I had written a screenplay about my experiences in boot camp called The Birth of Pride. And um, I had just finished it. So I took, I got this kid who just graduated from Marine Corps boot camp. And I said, can I yell at you? I'm going to send this tape. And you never, <laughs> you never know. He might want to use you too, I told him. And he was a six foot five right out of boot camp. And so I'm screaming at him and he starts smiling because he wasn't an actor. And he thought this is really stupid. And I, I stayed, I stayed in character. Went, you think this is fucking funny? <laughs> I started yelling at him more and more and I sent the tape off and uh, I remember going down to the post office and scraping $10.87 and put it in the VHS and sent it away and I thought well I hope it gets to wherever it's supposed to go and three years went by I completely uh, forgot about the wow. tape and uh, I get a phone call from my agent saying somebody from London wanted to talk to me Wow! and I got this phone number that was like seven zero one one six five five seven two five five it went on forever <laughs> and i called the number and it had a weird ring and the guy answered the phone and he hung up and then i hung up my phone and then all of a sudden my phone rang back it was a guy by the name of leon vitale who starred in barry linden and then became stanley kubrick's right hand man wow and he, and he, he said hello tim this is leon Stanley's very impressed with your work, but who's this other guy? He's brilliant. I said, well, he's in the Marine Corps. They're not going to let him out to do a film. Uh -huh. Now, I know he just got out of boot camp, so he was just three years, and he was in for four, so he had at least another year left. And um, he, they said, well, he's, he's, you know, don't get excited till you sign a contract. And then they called me back three days later and said, we found him. He's on leave in Hermosa Beach, California. Oh we want God. you to direct him through these three scenes and send him back to us. So I went to this kid and I said, I told you they might want to use you. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. And he started doing the dialogue. The dialogue was, this is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one's mine. And he wasn't that great an actor because he had never done it before. And, you know, I did a couple of, I can't hear you. And I sent the tape back. And three days later, I got a phone call from Warner Brothers saying, uh, Hello, Tim. This is uh, Lewis Blau, president of Warner Brothers. Tim, I have a tremendous amount of faith in Stanley Kubrick. Tim, Stanley Kubrick has a tremendous amount of faith in Tim Colseri. Oh. I took the phone and I reached out the window and I went, Stanley Kubrick has a tremendous amount of faith in me. <laughs> I came back and I went, yes, sir. And he goes, well, I want you to go down and sign the contract. So I went down to Warner Brothers and you know, normally these auditions, if they ask you want some coffee and you say yes, you get a styrofoam cup. Well, this place had China. I knew something big must be coming in, you know. And Walter Matthau was in the room before me. And I walked in and he said, Tim, I think you got the finest role in the film. You play the role of the drill instructor. And he handed me the script. And I went outside and I didn't even go down the elevator. I went out to the stairway and I sat down. And I started opening the script and I read 60 pages of dialogue that I had that was my character. Oh, wow. And I thought, how did I get this role? <laughs> and I knew it was a perfect role for me. And I was so excited. But they started filming the Vietnam stuff first. So they had to wait for, you know, them to finish that. So they sh shaved their hair off to play the boot camp scenes. So while they were filming the Vietnam scenes, I was in the United States preparing. 
They went down to, you know, the San Diego to drill instructor school to see if I had to work on my voice. They said, no, your voice is fine. And um, I couldn't wait to get over there. I was doing a movie. My, I think my other film I did was Never Too Young to Die with John Stamos, Vanity, and Gene Simmons from oh. Kiss was my boss. <laughs> and uh, I played Captain Grady, and I was uh, I came down in a helicopter, saved everybody, and all I did was want to go back to London and shoot this film. I was so excited about it. But I met John Voight, and we became good friends. And uh, everywhere I went, I was so excited about this great role I had to play the drill instructor in Stanley Kubrick's upcoming film, Full Metal Jacket. So I flew to London, get off the plane, and there's a guy holding my name. And as a flight attendant, I'd seen this before, but never holding my name. And I go, that's me. And he said, sign here. And there was a, I got an envelope full of a bunch of money. And he gave me a pager and said, where do you want to go? I said, well, before we go to the hotel, let's go to a pub and have a drink. I just got off the plane because I know he's going to work my ass off. We got to the pub. Pager went off and said, Tim, learn pages one through 28 by tomorrow morning. Driver will pay wow. seven. <laughs> Stanley. So I went to the hotel room, started cramming, memorized all the dialogue. For three days, I hotel room. People thought I was crazy because I was yelling at nobody in the room. <laughs> and the, the maids are looking at me like I'm weird and I'm trying not to yell, but I'm screaming. I'm yelling and screaming and nobody's in there. And finally, uh, Every time I worked, they sent the tape to Stanley and Leon called me and said, he's very impressed with your work. He wants to meet with you. I said, I thought I was impressed with my work before I got here. <laughs> and I went to the set and they were shooting the scene of Doc J being shot by that sniper. And uh, it was cold. We were shooting a film in London. It's a hundred and, you know, it's eight, eight degree weather. Vietnam, it's really hot. In London, it's very cold. And they were, all the actors were there and I'm walking them to go meet Stanley and Private Cowboy looked at me and he said, he can't be all that bad. He's wearing cowboy boots. And I was wearing cowboy boots and he thought that was something. And uh, when I got to Kubrick, I said, Mr. Kubrick. And the first thing he said to me was, Tim, thank you for sending me that tape. I said, Mr. Kubrick, you need a thousand takes. I'm prepared to give you a thousand and one. He said, don't believe all that propaganda. Is everything all right? I said, well, in the hotel room, I'm rehearsing and the maids think I'm crazy because there's nobody in the room and I'm yelling at nobody. And he... <laughs> He goes, find him another place to live. <laughs> and they had three places for me to look at. The first place I saw, I was so tired from rehearsing for 12 hours that it was very masculine. And I thought, this will work. And they said, well, you're, Michael Bean, his wife and two kids live right above you. He's filming Aliens. And I said, oh, okay. So I went up there after about a week. I thought I better meet this guy. And I opened the door and I met Michael and recognized him from Terminator. I go, I remember you from Terminator. And... Uh, that Sunday, he was working on Aliens in the same about hours I, I was working, many hours. And Sunday was our only day to get to know each other. And we've been best friends ever since that one day. Cool. In fact, they kept they kept me away from all the other actors in uh, Full Metal Jacket because they wanted me to be intimidating and they didn't yeah. want the other uh, actors to get to know me. Yeah. <laughs> None of that friend. So, so Mike, don't become crap. friends, yeah. <laughs> So Michael would take me to the set for Aliens, and I met Sigourney Weaver, Mike, Mark Ralston, and James Cameron, and they treated me like I was on the set. I mean, like I was on their film crew. And um, I had dinner with them all the time. I hung out with all the people from Aliens. In fact, I, I was around James Cameron more than I was Stanley Kubrick the whole time I did the film. That's hard to believe. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, 
I had that role for eight months. And uh, they told me so many times, you're going to shoot tomorrow. Learn this dialogue, learn this dialogue. And I'd get ready and then they would change it. So after three months of rehearsing, wow. technical, the technical advisor started using my dialogue and adding some of his own dialogue and he got it on tape. And Stanley didn't know what to do. He had, he sent me a letter saying he had two starting quarterbacks and he needed to choose one. And he decided to use Lee Ermey to play Sergeant Hartman. Mm. Would I be interested in stay on and play the helicopter door gunner, which is a very powerful role, a very powerful scene. And it just crushed me at the time. And it's funny when you asked me this question to begin with, what did I think about, you know, getting that role? I was so excited about playing the drill instructor, but when I finished reading the script and I thought I might as well read the rest of it, when I got to the door gunner role, I remember thinking, God, whoever plays this role is going to have a ball. <laughs> I never thought it would be me. So after dealing with the loss of the one role, I started to get pumped up to play the other role, which was a good, a good scene, I thought. And um, three, three days after they started filming him, on the way home, he hit a tree, he almost died. He was underneath oh. this tree for four and a half hours. And they decided, don't go anywhere, Tim, you got the role back as the drill instructor again. I can't believe my prayers have been answered. He's not dead, but I got my role back. And uh, we used to laugh saying, you have an imp a visitor, who is it? Tim Colseri. <laughs> anyway, about a week, about a week later, they decided uh, the insurance company said, "You started with him. We're going to finish with him," and they shut down production for seven months while he healed. And no, now I have to wait and go back to the United States. And people said, "Well, how's it going? How, well, I lost the one role, but I have this other great role. You know, I'll be waiting for him from the call me to go back." Meanwhile, at that time, I then had Michael Bean's agent. So I had no agent when I first started. Now I got one of the biggest agents in Hollywood, Ed LaMotta from ICM. And they treated me completely different. And um, uh, while I was in the United States waiting, they sent ICM a letter saying they're thinking about cutting the door gunner roll out to let me know. And my agent didn't let me know. And a week went by, they sent him another letter saying, now it's 100% for sure, we're cutting out the door gunner roll. Tell Tim we're really sorry. And my agent called me up and said, they cut out the door gunner roll. You're no longer in the movie. So I went from the best role in the movie to a great role in the movie to no role in the movie. And I thought, my God, I can't believe I'm not going to be in this movie after working on it so long. So I had a friend named Johnny Lee who played the country western singer. He sang that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong yeah. Places. <laughs> And he was my best buddy. And I said, do you have an entertainment lawyer? He goes, yeah, can I talk to him? I said, sure. So I went and told this guy, I said, I don't got any money, but this is the deal that, you know, they had me strung around for like a year waiting to do this role. And I never got to play any role. And I used to have hair and I used to do a lot of commercials and now they shaved my hair off. And that was the only thing I could complain about. So about two months after that, the movie was completely finished. They were finished filming. And I get this phone call from ICM saying they decided to put the door gonna roll back in. They want to know if you want to play it. I said, yeah. They said, call this number, 011657. <laughs> so I called that number again, and sure enough, it rang. And this time, executive producer, Jan Harlan. Hello, Tim. This is a wonderful role. I said, wait a minute. Are you, are you giving me this role back because I'm suing you? <laughs> Tim, Tim, it costs $60,000 a day just to rent a helicopter. It's not worried about him suing you. I said, okay, I'll do it. And it was between also Val Kilmer and Bruce Willis were also up for that role. So now I fly back to London 
I get off the plane and Leon picks me up. And I, as I'm going on the, on, the, on the plane in L.A., I run into Kevin Major Howard, who is the guy in the helicopter puking while I'm shooting everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he says, we shot the door gunner scene. I go, you did? With who? We shot it on the ground. Me and Matthew, they just blew wind at us. I go, so I wasn't there and you shot my scene? And he goes, yeah. So first of all, I thought, did they use somebody else? Then I thought, how the hell am I supposed to work with actors that aren't even in the helicopter? How does that go? So I got there and they spent a week memorizing their dialogue and then using my dialogue in between it and timing it properly. And every day I would fly, I would drive into Stanley Kubrick's house and rehearse. And then uh, the day before I shot, I was at the house and this helicopter was in his backyard. <coughs> Stanley buys his own props. So he had Jeeps, he had flak jackets, he had helmets. His house looked like a, a barracks. And, um, I'm in there practicing my dialogue and all of a sudden Stanley. Now I haven't seen Stanley in, you know, eight months. And uh, I've been wanting to kill him. And I think, now don't you do anything. Don't be strangling him like Homer Simpson now. You just do your job and get out of here and be a good boy. So he doesn't like flying. So I didn't expect him to be in the helicopter. I went climbing up the helicopter to check it out. And he was in the helicopter. And he went, hello, Tim, how are you? And I looked at him, hello, Mr. Kubrick. He says, you ever been in one of these? Yes, sir. So we fly him around. They flew me around the helicopter a few times. And I came back down and we're talking. And I'm just talking to him like I'm talking to you guys. And he goes, you have more energy than Kirk Douglas. And he worked with Kirk Douglas and Spartacus and Paths of Glory. And I thought, well, that's cool. I guess I got a lot of energy. If Kirk Douglas has a lot of energy, you know, that's cool. And um, they brought me out some cheese and crackers and a little bottle of red wine. And I'm in the back of his house drinking red wine and having cheese and crackers. And I started laughing, thinking, nobody will ever believe this. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never forget that feeling. It was so surreal. I go, nobody's ever going to believe. I'm sitting here drinking red wine with Stanley Kubrick in his backyard. And um, he said, what's your dialogue? And I did my dialogue. And he looked at Leon and he goes, you gave him the wrong dialogue to memorize? Oh, my God. <laughs> And I wanted to kill somebody. I go, well, what are you talking about? I've been here a week memorizing the wrong dialogue. So he goes, come with me. And I walked with him and he went upstairs to his house, into his bedroom. And he got on the typewriter and he started typing. Same typewriter that he used to type the letter where he got rid of me for the other role. <laughs> and he went, would you say dead goose killed? I like that line, dead goose killed. And he typed this dialogue. I swear, he typed it in 30 seconds. And he said, go up tomorrow. Seven o'clock in the morning, you're going to drive with Leon to Norfolk, England. It's 278 miles from here. And you'll get used to the helicopter, and I'll be there at 11 o'clock to film. Oh, my gosh. So I was so mad at Leon for giving me the wrong dialogue that 278 miles, I didn't talk to him. I gave him a stink eye the whole way. And he goes, I know you're mad at me. And I was so mad that I've been memorizing the wrong dialogue. I started thinking, is he trying to make me crazy to play the crazy door gunner? Is that what he's trying to do? It's all in the plan. So I, so I get up there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I started firing the weapon, and I looked at the dialogue, at the cameraman, and I started filming my dialogue. And I, and I thought, as an acting coach, I try to teach, if you're playing any role, you, even if it's a bad guy, you want to be a likable character. And to be a likable character, uh, like, for instance, uh, No Country for Old Men. You couldn't wait for him to kill another guy. The guy was a likable bad guy. So I thought to myself, and one of the lines they cut out of the script, it was in the original script, was, I sure do like shooting people. 
And that's the way I played that character. I played it like I enjoyed what I was doing. And it became a very likable character in the long run. <clears throat> anyway, I shot 6,000 rounds of ammunition for that one scene. Stanley shows up at 11 o'clock. And, and he wasn't going to go up in a helicopter. So we filmed me. And we go to this outhouse. And they plug it all in, the, the, the uh, videotape. And he would look at it. And he would say, he looked at it and went, I don't like this angle. Tim, don't laugh like that anymore. Give me the other angle. Tim, don't laugh like that anymore. Give me an everyday killer smile. So that was his first directorial towards me. Yeah, right. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't wait for this director to bring out something that I have, you know, as an actor. He's going to be able to bring stuff out of me that I have no clue. I'm so excited to have him direct me. And that's the first thing he says to me. So I walk around the helicopter and I come back and I go, just because I was a Marine went to Vietnam, do you think I know what an everyday killer smile is? <laughs> oh, goodness. And he said, don't worry about it. Just shoot the weapon. So I went back up and shot the weapon. And I looked at the cameraman. I want to do it again. And I did the dialogue without laughing. Very serious. With just a little, little smile. And I knew I did what he wanted me to do. And I jumped off the helicopter. And I went over to him. And I grabbed him by the neck. I put my arm around him by the neck. Found out later he didn't like to be touched. <laughs> I grabbed him by the neck. And I went, Stanley, I'm almost 99% sure I did exactly what you wanted me to do for that scene. And he looked at Leon, and Leon kind of nodded yes. And the next thing I know, he was looking at it, and he went, this angle's still off. Good, Tim. I want the other angle. Good, Tim. Go up and do it 13 more times just like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I did 13 more times just like that. Sun started to go down. They had Vietnamese waiting in their van waiting to be shot that I'm going to shoot them and they're supposed to run Stanley says when I see the red flag to start firing my weapon so I came around the helicopter saw the red flag and I started firing and they were running and the bullets were 10 yards from them they weren't even close so this is going to take another scene another whole day of, act, of, of acting for sure three takes later it looked like I shot every one of them wow I couldn't believe it was three takes to do that and they went, I couldn't wait to get back to the hotel and go to bed. I was so tired. I spent 13 hours up in that helicopter screaming and yelling in the middle of nowhere. And when the lights went out, when the sun went down, I couldn't see one inch in front of my face. You couldn't, there was no lights anywhere. You couldn't see anywhere. And he said, well, no, you guys can't go back to uh, the hotel. You got to go back to London and make sure this film is good before you fly back to the United States. Uh, so we had to drive 278 miles in the Honda Civic back to London. <laughs> I don't know how the guy, and the guy that was filming me was, was the same guy with the helicopter with me. So he was just as tired as I was. I kept nodding out all the way home. And then 11 months went by, and all of a sudden, the trailer came out, Full Metal Jacket, and I'm in the trailer firing my machine gun. And all my friends were calling me going, the trailer came out, and you're all through the trailer. That means I'm going to be in the movie. I was so excited when I saw the trailer because I knew that meant I made it in the movie after what I went through. So I took Michael Bean to see the premiere. There was, my, there was uh, Clint Eastwood sitting right next to me and Nicholas nice. Cage and Cisco Ebert And, you know, this big film was going on. And here comes this drill instructor in the beginning of the movie. And I'm watching him going, oh, I could have done that line better. <laughs> and then I go, ooh, that's a new line. That's a good one. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Ooh. Oh, I'd have done that one a lot better. Oh, that's a good one. And then I got sucked into the Marine boot camp because I was a Marine. And the movie kind of had me. And then that big heavy scene of him getting blown away at the end. 
and then it goes to Vietnam. And the movie starts at nine o'clock. I come in, and right in the middle of the movie, an hour later, I'm in the helicopter blasting away. And I noticed a lot of people were kind of chuckling when I got done. And Michael elbowed me and said, "You were good." I didn't know if I was good or bad in the movie, but at the end of the movie, they had my name up there all by itself, starring starring credit. And I was so excited that wow. I got to be starring in that movie in the classic war film. And I'm so shocked that that little role became so That's a, yeah powerful I... and memorable. And uh, that's why we're talking about it 35 years later. <laughs> that's so cool. Like, my sister would watch Full Metal Jacket all the time when we were younger. And I just always remember your scene. And anytime I talk about you, because I talk about you, like, all the time. And it's just so cool that you're from where I'm from and you are where you are. And it's kind of like, I guess, a little piece of pride. Like, hey, he's from Phoenix. Yeah. Look at him, you know. And it gives you, like, this sense of hope. And, um, you know, people are like, Tim Colseri, who's that? And I'm like, well, <laughs> the gunner. And they're like, what? Him? I'm like, yeah, he's like that awesome. Yeah, it's um, amazing. That little role became so powerful. And so I've had Marines come up to me and tell me that's the reason they joined the Marine Corps. And I've had other people say that I was just, I was a door gunner in Vietnam. And that's exactly the way I was. And it's, it's kind of sad. I'm shooting women and children, you know, <laughs> and uh, innocent <laughs> women and children. But yet I was still a likable character. <laughs> and if you think about it, most military movies, just let's go. Yes, sir. That's it. At least I had some personality in my little scene. Right. You know? And, and uh, I, you know, I've done probably 60 films since then, but there'll be another, there'll never be another full metal jacket. I don't think. Right. Yeah. And like getting that opportunity though, I mean, that's opened you up because now you have your own show called the get some tour, right? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. What happened was last year when Lee died, you know, Lee, Lee, and, Lee and I and Michael did a film called Omega 2, and it was right before 9-11, and uh, Michael played the vice president of the United States, and Lee Ermey played the president of the United States, and I played the admiral. It was funny sitting in this Oval Office, like I'm in a you know, president, president office, and there's Lee Ermey being a president, and Michael Bean is my best buddy, and he's the vice president, and I just felt so weird sitting there in my admiral outfit and uh so we have worked together and i've talked to him i never never looked down upon him i would have probably done the same thing he did it just um there also was a guy who just recently did um a thing called cinema tyler did a uh, a big thing on what i went through visuals and put it into uh perspective and filmed all the filming i went through and it's pretty good it, if you ever look it up online or if you go to timcolesary.com my website you can look it up there too. It's it's really it's amazing. Well, what happened? Michael Bean recently was in Vegas. He goes, "I'm going to spend an extra day there. We'll hang out." And we did, and we started reminiscing. And he got back to Los Angeles. He goes, "I want people to know what you went through." So he got this writer, and the three of us would write this thing. We called it Full Metal Straight Jacket, and we talked about what I went through chronologically. And uh, what happened was uh, William Morris Agency picked it up and said this should be a movie. And then they sent it to Hollywood Reporter, and the Hollywood Reporter called me up and, and rewrote it, and it's it ended up becoming uh it's up for an award now for uh, uh I don't know what do they call it, but it's it's amazing. Thirty five years later, all of a sudden it's getting popular. What I went through on that movie because it's not like I just played the door gunner. I went through so many ups and downs, being the drill instructor, losing the drill instructor. I had two starring roles, both taken away, both brought back.
that's hard to have handle emotionally. So anyway, when he passed away last year, uh, somebody asked me to come speak at the Leathernecks Club in Las Vegas. A bunch of Marines were there and they watched Full Metal Jacket. And they asked me how I got the role. And I started telling the story and I started putting some comedy into it. And somebody said, you got to do a one man show. Well, at that time, Kevin Major Howard was watching me do it. He goes, I want to produce it. So me and him became partners. And um, I worked on it for about a year. I've done eight shows. I'm no longer with Kevin. Uh, he kind of didn't do what I thought he was going to do. And I, I left him. But um, the show is actually pretty good. It's it's not it's it was conceived by Full Metal Jacket, but it's only 20 minutes of the show and the show is 90 minutes. I come out in the drill, drill instructor outfit and I do the Full Metal Jacket. And then I do, I was on Weeds for two episodes as a drill instructor. I do that episode. Then I do a bunch of comedy. Then I do some stories about my experiences in the Marines. And then I, I, I became a flight attendant and I do a comedy where, can you imagine me becoming a a Marine becoming a flight attendant. In fact, I think I'm the only Marine who ever became a flight attendant. Right? I know. I guarantee you, they weren't looking for a few good men when they hired me. (laughs) (laughs) So I do a lot of comedy with it, and and the show is really good, and and the women like it. I thought it would be a manly type show, but so I can't wait to get do it again. With this pandemic, I'm planning on doing, uh, I'm going to film it for Netflix. And then try to do it again live and, and mix both of them, the live and the, the filming of it, and mix them together. Um, so that's my next my next goal. That's awesome. What now? You you mentioned besides obviously these films that you talked about, your projects and Full Metal Jacket. What are some other well known um, films that you've been in that people would be like, oh yeah, I've seen that. It well, I did a small like- role in Era- Eraser was a big movie, but I had a small role in it. I probably, it was funny, the dialogue was, um, smile, you've just been erased. They wanted me, it was a one day shoot. And I went in there and at uh, the studio and the director, it was a hundred million dollar film, his name was um, Chuck Russell, was the name of the director. He goes, Tim, it's just one line, smile, you've just been erased. Can you do it three different ways for me? I got so excited because that's how I teach. I try to teach doing it three different ways. So I did it three different ways. He goes, good, can you hang around? And I went out the trailer and waited, and he saw seven more guys. An hour and a half later, he had me come back in. And Greg McKinney, who was in L.A. law, a big black guy at the time, nothing looked nothing like me, and he looked like a lawyer. And uh, he did the line. And then they had me come back in, and they, he goes, Tim, it's been an hour and a half since I've seen you do it. Can you do it three different ways again? I did it three different ways again. And he said he called my agent, and then he called his agent. And then I had to leave the room when they called his agent, and he had to leave the room when they called my agent. And my agent goes, he's not doing any one-liners. I go, look, it's a $100 million film. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It'd be good for my resume. I want to do it. Well, the very next day, it was going to be shot. And um, I didn't get the call that night to do that role. And I thought, I can't believe this town. I got really mad. It's Hollywood. And um, I got a phone call like a week later. My agent said, you booked it. I went, Eraser? They go, no, Leprechaun in Space. Leprechaun (laughs) in Space. And and this is a movie where I played. And actually, they were looking for Full Metal Jacket drill instructor. And they said he's already, his agent said he's already played that role. And the director knew who he was. So they booked me on, uh, I was like a Sergeant Metalhead hooker. 
and they shaved my head off and put a big metal plate in my head. And a week went by, and all of a sudden, I get a phone call from my agent who said, they booked you on an eraser. I go, eraser? Yeah. He gave me a bigger role. He gave Greg McKinney the one-liner and gave me a little a little bit bigger role. Awesome. And I guarantee you, if I would have read for a bigger role earlier, I probably would have had it, because being the director got along really well. So that's one of those movies. And Leprechaun, well, it plays all the time, because it's a, you know... Uh, an Irish movie where during during uh, St. Patty's Day they always seem to play it, and I had a fun role. He turns me into a woman, and uh, <laughs> I, I, at the end I get I get electrocuted and I and I bounce off the ground and my metal plate pops off and I'm not even a human. I'm a cyborg. <laughs> so that was a fun one to play. Uh, I played a, a movie called Evolution recently. Uh, you know, I, I I just keep on. Going at it, I'm up for a movie called Ambulance right now, Michael Bay film. Uh, it's a, a movie about a cop being shot at a bo- in a uh, in a in a bank, and he's in the ambulance with the bad guys, and they're afraid to take him down because he'll kill the cop. And uh, one of the roles I'm up for is a cop role that you know trying to catch him. I play a lot of co- I play a lot of cops. I have a question for you, Tim. Yeah, with the the offer to do. A uh, full metal jacket. You said in the beginning that you had sixty pages of dialogue. Yeah. In the beginning of your career, was that intimidating at all to try to memorize that much dialogue? Um. So- well, first of all, it's it's not the type of dialogue that I talk and then you talk. It's pure monologue after monologue after monologue. So I had to memorize so much dialogue that my mind I couldn't sleep, and they sent me to a doctor. The doctor gave me this little yellow pill and knocked me out. And the next day, I felt groggy, so I quit taking them. But I still have it memorized to this day exactly <laughs> what I had to go through, you know. And um, it's it, it just that's the way. I wasn't going to lose my role because I couldn't work and memorize, you know. Right. So it wasn't intimidating. I never once. I don't think I've ever been intimidated by another actor or by another director. I I know. I come in prepared and want to do my job and expect everybody else to do theirs and I can't do their job. So I just do my job the best that I can. Was the fact that you were prior Marine, did that help with the role? Surely helped in the Marine Corps part of the boot camp role, for sure, because I knew how to imitate them. It's like when I read for the drill instructor role in Weeds, they saw every actor in L.A. from... 19 years old to 70 year old that looked like a military guy for that role. They got down to 20 of us and five of them were WWF wrestlers. And I heard, wow. and I heard them in there yelling and they were yelling, but didn't have the rhythm that they had. Like if I go, he, he shits, you shit. He fucks up, you fuck up. He goes down, you go down. You know, you have to have that kind of rhythm. <laughs> that they have and they weren't doing that rhythm i know how that rhythm is because i heard it so much as a marine right. so absolutely the marine if i wouldn't have been a marine i probably would have never got that role as far as the helicopter door gonna roll the way it was written it said a bushy mustache joints in both ears wearing a hula shirt and i knew that the marine corps i don't care how that's i saw guys look like that in the army but not in the marine corps Even in Vietnam, we were squared away. So I wore a flak jacket, you know, and uh, that was it in my helmet. And I decided to wear that, not a hula shirt. And they actually had a hula shirt for me to wear. I wasn't going to wear it. 
So, <laughs> uh, so knowing that that's the way it was as a Marine, you know, I had a little bit to do with, uh, because I was a Marine. Yeah. It helped it, you know, I don't know if it helped that much as the door. It definitely helped a lot as the drill instructor, as the door gunner. Yeah. I'm sure it helped me as a way also. It literally sounds like, okay, so usually when we are um, interviewing people, we kind of <clears throat> ask them what struggles that they've been through. Like, for, <laughs> I went through quite a bit of struggles. Right? Like, perfect. <laughs> now, that's just, you know, people, some people say, well, that's Hollywood. Can you imagine starting your career and getting a role that's perfect for you in one of the greatest yeah. directors of all time? And 60 pages of dialogue. And you know it's going to be an Oscar-nominated type of role. And you have it for eight months, and then they take it away from you? I don't care who you are. It's going to affect you. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I heard you on another interview talking about that. And I was just like, oh, my God. And it just goes to show that as a movie consumer, you literally have no idea of all the things that are happening behind the scenes, pre-production, post-production. Yeah. You know, stories like yours, I think that's why. You know, you know, something happened recently that after 35 years of dealing with it again, and if you have to tell the story over and over and over again, it starts to affect you again also. But I remember, oh, no. I remember at the very last interview, I said, it took me 35 years to be proud of what I did in that film. Everybody said, you, you were in Full Metal Jacket. The very first thing I would say, yeah, originally was the drill instructor. Rather than talk about the role that I played, you know, well, now I'm happy and proud that I was the door gunner, but it took me years to be able to say that. I can't explain it, but I wish I would have not been so wrapped up in what I had and what I should have had and what I could have had and just been proud of what I had. And, and, I, and I am very proud of what I had and how lucky I was to be in this film. I'm very humble to say I got lucky, you know, at 7,000 tapes, three years of casting, he decided to put me in his film. And you know what? I, I, the other thing is, he wrote that thing in 30 seconds, but I made it memorable. I'm the one that made right. it memorable. I'm the one that actually made that scene, what we're talking about it today. So I'm proud of what I did. Absolutely, and you should be. It took me a while to figure that out. Now, now, who would you say in the industry would be your biggest influences? You've influenced a lot of people. Um, as a cat, as an acting coach, you know, a lot of people say, well, I didn't get that job because I didn't look right for the role. And uh, I talk about Dustin Hoffman. He, he gets the role because he can act. He, yeah. And, and that's why I try to be, you know, it's not about what you look like. They can make you look like anybody. It's your acting ability. So I'd say Dustin Hoffman was a huge influence on me of wanting to be like him. Didn't yeah, you know, he was, you know, Meryl Streep is another one and Clint Eastwood. I mean, uh, they're, they're legends because of that. And they're just, you know, you know, acting and Jack Nicholson you know, working with, you know, anybody that got to work with Kubrick. And, and he was such an interesting director that <clears throat> I get that probably more than anything. What was it like working with Stanley Kubrick? And uh, he's just like any other man, but he, he has a vision and. I couldn't get mad at him. He did what he thought was right for the film. Right. And that, and that right. taught me the same thing when I directed my films. If somebody had a, an actor in mind emotionally, but didn't fit my 
vision that I wanted in the movie, I got rid of them. And I didn't get rid of them uh, feeling sorry for them. I got rid of them because they weren't right for the role. You know what? I, I just want to say thank you so much for that because <clears throat> people like myself and other people out there who are directors, you know, it, it's about your vision. It's about what's right for the film. And, you know, you have to be able to cut that tie of, you know, I can't feel bad for that person. Something else is going to come along for them. And it's about the success of the film. If they don't fit, they don't fit. And yeah. I think that's really cool that, that you're saying that because even as an actor, right? Sometimes like I've had actors come to me and they're angry and they're trying to put in their piece. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, I got to put you back behind you. You're acting. I'm directing. Mm -hmm. You don't know the whole vision. You're there for a handful of scenes out of 50, you know? So I really, I just wanted to say thank you for saying that and for being honest about that. Well, it's interesting. The, the writer writes it and the director takes his vision and tries to make it what the writer wanted. You think the best movies are written and directed by the same person. Dancing with Wolves is an example. And Stanley uh -huh. Kubrick has everything to do with producing, writing, and directing. That's why he's got complete control of his projects. You know, when the Warner Brothers came over there, he, he took yellow tape and taped it all around. He wouldn't let anybody work until they left. That's the way he was, yeah. you know, and that's what that vision's going to come from the writer to the, if it's going from the writer to the director, it might not get the same vision. So most of the good stuff is written and directed by the same person. Right. Yeah. I, I thank you. I love that. <laughs> Can you tell us, Tim, who um, throughout your career have been your least supporters and who have been your biggest supporters in your acting wow. career? Hmm. That's a tough question. It's funny because being from Phoenix, Arizona, I never knew anything about acting. I never was around dialogue. So when I first saw dialogue on a piece of paper, I found it to be exciting to try to make that character and, and talk the way that person would talk. And I never had the opportunity growing up in Phoenix. If I had grown up in L.A., one of my friends would have been a director or I'd have been around it and I'd have seen it. So I didn't get any support. My family still to this day doesn't even really know what acting is about. You know, I'm sure they're happy that I'm somewhat successful. It's not an easy gig, you know, being an actor. You're, you're dealing with rejection all the time. You're always trying to get a job. You don't have a steady income coming in. It's an art and you got to love it. And if you don't love it, you're not going to get very far. And I've been teaching it now for almost 30 years, 25 years. And started teaching kids and the only job that we really have to do is memorization and then the other part is trying to make it fit for that project whatever that project is whether it's voiceover whether it's a video whether it's a, a you know a short film whether it's a major motion picture you, you got to make do what's right for the film so as far as least support um i don't know what that would be. i don't know i just think i i got I supported myself and I got motivated by trying to do the best right. I could. Um, I guess the guy who had the most would be Stanley Kubrick for giving me the opportunity, you know, for him believing in me. So I have to thank him the most. Is, is, there, anything that you, is there anything that you would have done differently? Uh, yes, I would have got a team to help me. 
I once so once I got that role by myself, I kind of felt like I didn't need an agent, you know. And right. uh, I, you need somebody talking for you. You need a team, and you know, a manager takes twenty percent, an agent takes ten percent. You don't really need both, but you need somebody out there representing you. You need a team. You need some support and somebody to talking for you. You know, that's one thing I wish I'd have done. I wish I would. The other thing is when I did have Ed Lamana represent me, ICM, he was doing me a favor. And after the movie was over, I kind of thought, well, he did me a favor. I'll wait till I become very big and I'll ask him to help me again. Well, by the time I got good enough to ask him to help me again, he was already gone. He he passed away. So yeah. I didn't I didn't handle that properly. I should have handled it better. I should have parlayed the effort from Full Metal Jacket into something else, which I didn't. And uh, I wish I would have done that. I wish I'd have got a better group of people helping me out, trying to do everything on my own, and that gets hard. So I have a question concerning that. Not having a team, was that a decision you made because at the time you didn't know better? Or was that a decision that you made that knowingly and wish that you have done it? Uh, I guess it's a couple, a couple of things. One, I don't like asking people to help. I just never have been that yeah. kind of guy. And number two... And the other thing is, in this business, it seems like no matter if you're talented or not, they just, unless you're a name or unless you've done something, they're not going to be your agent. It's hard to get a good right. agent, even if you're good. I mean, there are so many talented actors that are in acting classes that can't get any work because they just haven't had the opportunity. You know, it's a cutthroat business, so. You need to have the opportunity, but you need to have somebody to, to give you that opportunity. Or you got to do like I did. You're always asking somebody, uh, what role are you up for? And bust your way in there and say, look, I want to read for it. Which I did a lot. And I got work from doing it that way, and I got people mad at me for doing it that way. But at least I wasn't afraid to try. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so can, can you, in, in all of your acting career and all the things that you've done, who was your favorite famous actor to work hmm. with? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> my my favorite my favorite guy to work with. He's the hardest one. Is Michael Bean? He's a hard one to work with. He's always just checking you out, like making sure you're doing. He's tough. He's tough, but he's good, and uh, he's probably underrated. You know, he was in Tombstone and. Aliens and Terminator, and he just got done doing Mandarin. Uh, Mandarin, I think it's called the the, the one for uh, Disney. It's like a Star Wars movie. He did that. Uh, oh, Mandalorian. Mandalorian, yeah, that's one. He's in that. And uh, gotcha. Mark Ralston and Sigourney Weaver. I've got to know her, and she was so sweet to me. And James Cameron. I mean, those people treated me like I was on their set with them. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, and it's funny when you're hanging around those kind of people and then you start realizing all of a sudden that you belong there with them, that you want to be up there. It's like playing in the AAA club or them being in the, you know, the Dodger stadium. And after a while you start realizing I belong in Dodger stadium, but I love acting so much that I'm not afraid to go down to AAA and do some work there either. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's uh. great. So, so from here, where would you where would you like to see a career go from this point? Well, I'm getting older now, but I, you know, I know my talent is uh, better than it ever has. When you're teaching 
you know, all the time and you're around dialogue, I'm really good with listening to dialogue and knowing what works. So I want to get into directing. I got two screenplays that I've got in the right hands right now. Uh, one's called The Birth of Pride, the one that got me Full Metal Jacket. It's very tight right now. And there hasn't been a really good boot camp movie in a long time, really since Full Metal Jacket. So hopefully they'll pick that up. The other one's called Buckle Up. And that's my experience about being a male flight attendant. And uh, this character falls in love with a girl. He thinks she's a flight attendant. And it turns out she's a co-pilot. So it's he's in the woman's world and she's in the man's world. And it's back when flighting was fun and people dressed up and it was respected. And yeah. we, we served Chateaubriand and we would take a snifter glass and, and take a dry ice from the ice cream and put in the snifter glass and pour cream de mint over the ice. And it would smoke up the whole, the whole plane would smell like cream de mint. They don't, <laughs> they don't even think about that anymore, you know, and, I had a guy die on my like plane Christmas nuts. day. Excuse me. It's like what? They're like, they're like, here's your bag of nuts now. Leave. Oh, it's so sad the way the way it used to be and the way it is. And so I think that's another movie that would be great to have out. And and you know, I I like directing a lot. I really really enjoy directing. And um, I'm one of those kind of directors that's been doing it with hardly any money. I would love to get some finances to get what I need. But I actually like the gorilla directing, too. You know, I was filming one time out in the beach, and it was a death scene, and we were ready to pack up. And all of a sudden, somebody actually got hurt, and they had an ambulance come pick him up. And, and the, the sun was going down, and the ambulance was blinking on and off, and I went, get that shot. And we just <laughs> we just stole that shot, and it worked perfect for our film. <laughs> there was another, another scene that happened that day. It was funny. I had this kid, and he... he uh, spearfished a fish and he had to come out of the ocean all excited about this fish and i was directing him and i told him i said i want you to take this fish and kiss it right on the lips and i showed him how to do it i went and then go yeah i caught this fish like that and when i showed him how to do it i realized after i showed him that my mouth started to really burn really really yeah. bad like the chemicals started burning my lips so i ran in the bathroom started washing my mouth and it wouldn't go away the burning still was there and I, I came back out and I went, this is going to be the funniest scene you'll ever see. And this kid came out of the ocean and he grabbed the fish and he kissed it and he had all this dialogue and he was wiping his mouth and talking and wiping his mouth and talking and wiping his mouth and talking. And I was laughing so hard because I knew it was burning his mouth. <laughs> oh, it was funny. It was funny. So I really hope I get to direct more. And uh, I really enjoy teaching too. I've been thinking about, um, you know, getting into teaching again now that I, I'm going to have to probably do it online now until this virus is over with. Oh, yeah. And another thing I'm involved in is, I don't know about you, but the CBD products. Now, if you get the right one, I'm working with a company called 11th Element. And uh, they're in um, a relaxation spa in Pennsylvania, a wellness spa. And it's a great spa. And if you get the right CBD, it really is amazing how that is working. My brother had a bad, bad quad accident and they flew him to vegas he broke seven ribs and he punctured his lung and he would they were giving him morphine he was in there for 12 days he was in so much pain i got as i was driving him home even to make a left-hand turn he'd go oh, the, the pain was killing him just driving and he went and got we got this cbd oil from this company from the uh, 11th element 
and they gave us the seat. And I mean, it took the pain away, and he could sleep. And I thought, I can't believe this. Morphine wasn't working, but this stuff, little drops on a nut, did this? So people don't realize, I think they're starting to realize how well that is working. So if they're, if anybody's yeah. interested in that, you go to www.11thelement.com, and if you go Tim 10, they'll give you 10% off of any of your orders. So Excellent. anybody that's interested out there, go ahead and tell them that you know me, and uh, you know it, they'll give you the right stuff, the good stuff that will heal you. And um, that's another thing that I'm kind of involved in right now, my life, trying to make sure people get healthy. Well, Tim, in our closing comments, can you share what are the classic words of advice from Tim Colseri? What would you tell people who are aiming to be in the position that you're in? Uh, well, I, the most important thing, I think, is uh, if you have a dream or a goal, you know, have a plan of attack and don't let anybody deter you from that. No matter what it takes, Good. make sure you believe in yourself and uh, you'll succeed no matter what. No matter who says anything negative, stay away from the negative. Stay positive and stay, you know, it, 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 in order to be a good actor, you gotta you got to be in good shape. you got to be physically in good shape. That means you can't be drinking. You can't be staying out all night. You got to exercise daily. You got to look good. You, when you look good, you feel good, and you got to deal with daily rejection. So you know, there's so many things I really thought I was going to get, I didn't get. And I had to learn. I've learned the best advice I can say is do the best you can, and when you walk out, forget about it. And that's awesome. You know, I, I I've had some people say oh, I did a bad job and got the job. I can never say that. I never did a bad job and got the job. I either did a good job and got it. And I had to not, I remember for a movie called Babylon five, they had a thing called produ a producer session. Producer sessions means they're not going to see hundreds of people. They're going to see maybe 10. I was very proud that I was one of the 10 they wanted to see. And I went in there for the executive producer and I did this dialogue. And when I got done, he looked at me and he went, Tim, can you do it again? It looked like you were searching for words on that first page. And on the first page, I was, there was a thought process. I had to make a decision. I was searching for thoughts. I knew my dialogue. And rather than just do it again the way, the way I should be doing it, I wanted to be defensive and tell him that I was searching for thoughts. And I could not connect to my scene. And I, I did a bad job. And on the way home, I did two U-turns. I wanted to go back and beg me to go back in and do it again. And I went back home and I wrote a letter saying, I'm a better actor than that. Please let me come back and do it again. And I wrote the letter and I ripped it up. And I wrote another letter and I ripped it up again. A month went by. They brought me in for Babylon 5 again. I walked in there. Same exact produ executive producer was standing in the same spot. I walked in there and I did my, my job. And as I was driving home, rather than being upset with myself, I was cheering all the way home. Yes! 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 And by the time I got home, my agent called me and said, you booked it. You don't even shoot for another month, but you, you blew them away. <laughs> and they said, they already booked you. And, you know, and you know when you do good you know when you do bad and if you do one the way i look at it, there's another tim colsery coming in right behind me looks just like me he doesn't make the mistake he's going to get the job i make one little mistake i'm begging the fact that they let me come back and do it another time so i don't make that mistake and eventually i don't make mistakes anymore i come in prepared that's and do awesome. my job and that's what it's going to take the best suggestion i tell anybody is if you believe in yourself Go ahead and do it. Don't let anybody deter you from that. 
Great That's advice. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. And um, before we let you go, can you tell us if anybody is looking to reach out to you um, regarding a role they might have or collaboration on some of your pieces or anything like that? What's the best uh, social media platforms for them to reach you? Well, yeah, you can go to, uh, well, I think I, my, I finally got a website up for the first time and I didn't do it. Somebody helped me do it. I'm not good at that. You know what? I, what I'm looking for, too, is somebody to help me. If anybody's out there that wants to help manage my one man show or my acting classes or anything, I'm the kind of guy who says, what time I got to be there? I'm ready to go. I don't like calling people and telling them, you know, how much money is it going to cost for the tickets and uh, you know, and there's money to be made. So if somebody's into that, I'm looking for somebody to help me in that. Um, but if they want to get a hold of me, it's timcolsary.com. That's my, uh, my website, my webpage. If you need to go to my email, it's tcolsary at hotmail.com. So okay. that's the thing you to get a hold of me. One. I'm actually, Excuse me? I'm looking at your website now. Uh, I'm looking at your website now, and there there's another Gmail um, address listed on there, timothycolsary at gmail.com. Yeah, that's another that one, too. That, they like that one better, but I don't, I, you know, I, I forget about that one all the time. I always go to Hotmail. The <laughs> Gmail they like more, so maybe I should go to that one better. That's a typical another one of those I don't right, know we'll, the right one to go to. But, yeah. We'll stick to the Hotmail one. Okay. <laughs> well, awesome, Tim. Thank you so much for your time. I cannot tell you how excited again that I am and how thankful I am that you have taken the time to come on our show and tell us about your story and give us really your advice awesome, and and the fact that you just like literally offered some lucky person out there a job or a couple jobs that's amazing and I just admire you so much more all right guys well, for all our listeners Merry Christmas to all you guys Thank you very much. And we're going to have our listeners, if you haven't seen Full Metal Jacket, Full Metal Jacket yeah. it's worth looking at. If you saw it, look at it again. Tim, I'm going to have a late night tonight because I'm going to watch it again. You got me all fired Get up. Get some! Get some! I'm all fired up, man. Ain't war hell! I, I, could talk, I could talk to you all night. You guys are the best, man. Have a happy, happy New Year and Merry Christmas to all. Same to you, Tim. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Remember, tune in to HPE Live. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and of course, YouTube. Tune in next week for more do's, don'ts, tips, and gossip, and entertainment.